It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. And so, uh, it is finally official. They have managed to achieve nirvana and they have managed to punish people in cars just like they said they would. In six major cities in this country, it is now officially quicker to travel by bike. Uh, far quicker than it is to travel by car, by van or any other form of transport. In London, in Edinburgh, in Bristol, in Liverpool, in Manchester and in Sheffield, you will not be able to drive above 10 miles per hour through most of the streets in those particular cities and in many other cities you're only going to be going about one or two miles per hour faster and you won't be able to overtake them either of course it has been a plan which has been 20 years in the making people like Sadiq Khan the mayor of London people who are the green campaigners people who hate cars people who want bikes to be the chosen method of transport for every single man woman and child in the country have finally won it's all over folks it is all over you might as well raise the white flag and give up surely though this is going to be bad for the economy it's going to be bad for business and it is going to be bad for the future of this country, particularly uh, as we're about to leave the European Union. What we don't need are gridlock cities. We don't need to become Sao Paulo, where it takes five hours to get across town. We don't want to become uh, some kind of third world country where you can't get anywhere, you can't do anything, and everybody just stands around drinking coffee. For heaven's sake, what a complete and utter shambles. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up later on in the show, uh, we'll be hearing about... Gordon Banks and his incredible life, one of the greatest sporting heroes that England has ever had. Uh, if you're in Scotland, you might even appreciate it as well. Uh, he was, of course, the World Cup goalkeeper for England in 1966 and in 1970. An incredible figure. Never a bad word said about him uh, and quite a sporting icon as well. Alex Dibble will join us with an appreciation. Coming up later on as well, I'll be asking why Prime Minister Theresa May is busy manoeuvring for her place in history, trying to create some kind of legacy and also supposedly plotting to leave the party at a time when she can best stop Boris Johnson from taking it over. Well, I've got some news for you, Theresa. It is not for you to decide when to leave the Tory party. It is not for you to decide what you leave behind. 
and it is certainly not for you uh, to start already politicking about how you are going to be remembered because right now you've got one job and that's one job only and that uh, is to leave the European Union with the best deal that you can possibly get and if you can't get one then to leave without 0344 499 don't forget as much as there is an awful lot of news to discuss here today on the Independent Republic the most important views that we want are those that you have and the ones that you want to tell us about so we want you to call us on 0344 499 text us on 87222 and of course you can uh, tweet us as well at Talk Radio. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the Independent Republic. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, everybody's known for a very long time that there are several campaigns on the go at any given time in this country. We have got all sorts of interest groups, special interest groups, those uh, who will try and make sure that we no longer burn fossil fuels. We've got those who don't want us in any way uh, to drive motor cars of any kind. We've got people who would like to force everyone onto buses, onto trains. There are people who would like to do away with taxis. There are people who want every single home and every single household in this country to be driving around on bikes like some kind of, you know, deranged Dutch organisation. Here's the point. Britain is a necessary place for cars to be driven around in because in most of it, public transport is woeful. In most of it, you can't get a train from point A to point B. You cannot get a bus from point B to point C. So you need a car, otherwise you ain't going anywhere. And the fact now that we have been told by a recent study uh, by an organisation called Inrix that is now actually quicker to travel by bike in six of Britain's major cities all the way from Sheffield to Liverpool to Bristol to Manchester to London to Edinburgh, to me, it's absolutely shameful. Friends of mine in Glasgow uh, cannot wait to see the end result of what they've been doing to Sucky Hall Street where they have basically closed up uh, the entire street for taxis and for cars and only bikes can now go down it but it's taken them an age to actually get it done everybody who lives in London knows how ludicrous it is to try and get around the city uh, in any form of transportation on four wheels whether it be a bus whether it be a car whether it be a taxi it's an absolute nightmare gridlock all over the place and we're going to talk now to Steve Dobson the director of Inrix which is the, uh, the traffic management company because their study has proven to me that the crusade to get everybody out of their cars and onto bikes has now been won and it's been won by the bike brigade it's been run won by the green brigade and it's been run by the people uh, who don't understand commerce who don't understand industry and who do not understand business one way or another steve dobson director of inrix a very good morning to you Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well. I'm not very happy about this, I have to say. I mean, it doesn't say tell me anything that I didn't really know. But what I wasn't quite aware of is that this gridlock problem uh, far and away exceeds just London. No, it's it's all over. I mean, if you want the the worst case, Dublin holds the crown for the slowest city traffic. Really? Six miles an hour. So, you know, even walking's faster in Dublin. But, you know, fundamentally, all the cities have got the same challenge, especially if you look at historic cities in the UK. These are cities with Roman roads. You can't suddenly add roads in without knocking down thousands of houses. So right. if you think about, you've got an economy that's growing. You've got, you know, you know all the challenges and more people live there, an economy that's actually trying to grow, but you've got no possibility to increase uh, road capacity. So guess what they have to do? They have to invest in public transportation. And if you look at the facts, mid-90s, TfL, less than half of the trips that were undertaken by car went by public transport. Nobody was using any public transport. Today, more trips are being used by public transport than by car. You're right, public transport is winning. But it's winning the emissions debate as well. Yeah, you know, but it's not public transport. No, but it's not public transport that's winning, Steve, because I see on a regular basis, and your, your study may highlight this in other cities, but certainly in London, there are more buses in London that are going around empty than anything you've ever seen in your life. 
it's true. You know, bus, bus, what, the one headache for Transport for London is that people sitting on buses is down. Why? Because buses go slowly. Mm. What's the challenge? They've got challenge of roadworks, etc. If you look at the cycle superhighways, you know, their big success story. Who used them? 760,000 people a day are making trips on bikes. And guess what? We're all those using bikes. Why is it so important? Guess what? You can get more people down a road, 30% width of the cycle superhighway, than you can with cars. 46% of the road use in 30% of, of the actual road space. So there's a logic to it. But for car drivers, for delivery drivers, it's a real challenge. The challenge they're trying to do is make it not be so variable. And that's what Inrix data is there to say, guys, how can we give you the tools you need to make the infrastructure changes you need? But these are not people who are motivated in any way, shape or form by speed, are they, Steve? I mean, these are people who are motivated by ideology because it's all very well to say you can get across town much easier on a bike. Not everybody has a bike. Not everybody can ride a bike for one reason or another. Some people have to have a van because they need to deliver things. Some people have to have a car because they carry things around in it for their work. Some people have to have uh, public transportation on a bus because they may be too elderly to ride a bike. You know, there's a lot of other people here not being catered for and many of them are very, very important the economy absolutely if you look at congestion as a whole even just in london it's costing the average person 1680 quid time stuck in traffic jams when they can't be productive but tfl have got a real challenge on their hands they say they know that you know in the uk 40,000 premature deaths from emissions from road transportation saying right we have to do something well hang on let's just run that statistic past me again 40,000 premature deaths in the UK. It's labelled a public health emergency by the National World Health yes. Organisation. Yes, but there's no actual evidence to show that that's true, is there, Steve? Well, the, the World Health Organisation rolled it out. No, the, said, yeah, no, well, the World Health Organisation would, because that's what their agenda is. The bottom line is, is there's no link whatsoever to people dying and people driving in terms of well, the air. Yeah. There isn't. You, you know, we are a provider of traffic and transportation data. We have to take the official source information. And we recognise that people like TfL and all the cities are trying to get good quality data. And that's what we do. No, they're trying to get data that suits their political ends. That's what they're trying to do. Well, they, they have to take a data source they can trust that actually is open to everyone's scrutiny. That's why we're here. We're trying to provide data that everyone can look yeah. at. Yeah. Well, maybe Steve, you know, you know, but let's get let's stick to the traffic data because I don't believe the health data at all because they've used that in order to try and make out that we should save time uh, by travelling on bicycles. However, the problem is there's actually more congestion in London, more uh, emissions being pumped out, but cars being stationary than there are uh, when cars are moving. Yeah, this is true. So you want to avoid gridlock. That's the big challenge. Right. All these things. How can we avoid gridlock? And you think the challenge you've got with a population growing, you've got Uber and Lyft, what are the choices they have available? They don't have many choices. They can't build more roads. What would you recommend they do? So what they're trying to do is get the best data available and say, you know what, can we improve roads in the morning, in the no. afternoon, can we improve traffic? But you know what they're That's doing, the Steve, as well as I do. Your, your study has proven it. They're making the roads smaller. They're making the space on which cars can travel on smaller, which is almost bound to, by any stretch of any imagination, create more congestion. It's not going to create less, is it? Congestion is fundamentally a function of economic growth. People want to go down the road, so they want to go to work. What you want to give me, say, guess what? It's going to take a while to get to work, but it's the same. It's always going to be the constant. The pain of traffic is the sudden delay, the roadblock is the instant, the accident. That's the nightmare. If you knew it's always going to take 40 minutes to get to work, it's a pain, but it's always 40 minutes. The real nightmare is when 
some days it's an hour and a half to get back from work. Some days you get back from work in, in half an hour. How do you manage that and make it predictable? That predictability is a real key thing in improving Londoners' lives and people's lives in all cities. And that's where we need good data to say. It's well, that's when you need reliable data, but you also need common sense, Steve. One final question to you. Do you honestly really believe that by putting in cycle lanes and reducing the capacity for cars by 50%, that that will do anything other than try and discourage people from driving in cars? That's what it's all about. Well, you know, sadly, you know, we're not the policymaker. We provide the stats that allow people to make the best decisions. Well, I'm asking you for your opinion. Well, you know, sadly, I'm a corporate person. I have to stick to the corporate language. We provide the stats. All right. You know, okay. as, as a You're not allowed an opinion. I would get another well. job if I were you. I could not have a job if I couldn't have an opinion. I wouldn't be interested. Well, that's, that's, that's a great policy to have. And we can <laughs> support that with you. But okay. Fundamentally, we say we give you the information to allow you to make the best decisions and are on a great talk rate show. So thank you very thank much. Thank you very much indeed. Steve Dobson, director of INRIX, who have done this incredible study in which it has shown that you will be quicker driving uh, around on a bike, right, in London, in Edinburgh, in Bristol, in Liverpool, in Manchester and in Sheffield uh, because you would actually get there quicker than if you're in a car. This is a conspiracy, people. I'm not a conspiracy theorist because this is one that's actually going on. They want you out of your car. They need you out of your car they do not want to see you in your car at any point and if you can be taxed out of it if you can be convinced to get out of it they don't care how they get you out of it they just want to get you out of it this is an absolute scandal this is talk radio dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Coming up, we're going to take loads more of your calls about the congestion problem, uh, how it's now quicker to get across London and several other big cities in this country on a bike than it is in a car. Uh, we've been talking about Theresa May as well. Right now, though, uh, we're going to talk to a man uh, who knows probably more about goalkeeping than any man alive. David Seaman, former England goalkeeper, very, very safe pair of hands uh, on the death, of course, of Gordon Banks, which we learned about uh, just a few hours ago. David, uh, very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, mate. You okay? Yeah, very well indeed. I mean, I've been watching the save over and over again. You can't stop watching oh. it. I mean, I actually remember watching it in. And you're not probably as old as I am, but I, I was a schoolboy, <laughs> and I used to love going home in 1970 from school to watch the World Cup because my parents were out, and I could just sit there and just you know pour over it in Mexico. And you know that save, it's it's mesmerising watching it. Really, you can't work out how he does it. You can't, and every every time, yeah, exactly that. Every time you watch it, you just start, you can't believe how he saved it. You yeah. can't believe how he's got it over the crossbar. And uh, I think that was back in the days when they did the, the goalkeepers never even wore gloves, Mike. Yeah, right. Incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. And and it's pointed out to me uh, by somebody who sent it to me that the look on Bobby Moore's face is of total disbelief. He can't believe it either. I, know. I would imagine Pele's face would have been a yeah. bit because you know he he, he heads the perfect ball. He heads it down into the ground. And it's on its way up when, when Gordon actually gets his hand to it. But, uh, yeah, like you say, an absolute amazing save. Yeah, I mean, as a goalkeeper, David, presumably, you know, you grew up sort of and wanting to emulate Gordon Banks because he always was thought to be one of the great goalkeepers of all time, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and he's the only English goalkeeper to lift that World Cup trophy, right? You know, so that's that's such an achievement. And, right. and that's one of, the, one of the biggest memories that I've got, you know, of him walking around Wembley with the World Cup in his hands. 
Um, it's just such a great a great moment in time. Mm. But you know, which one do you do you remember the most? Do you remember that bit, or do you rem- remember that save? And uh, I think they're both pretty special moments. Well, of course. And he was a great sort of football enthusiast, wasn't he? I mean, I know he used to go to a lot of games. He had that terrible accident where he lost the sight in his eye, which meant that he yeah. couldn't really play anymore. And his, his you know, his, his coaching ability is probably limited as well. But he was he was always at football and around it, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and, and I met him a couple of times. You know, obviously um, later on in, yeah. in, in his uh, in his in his life, and um, you know, he always just seemed to be a, a really nice gentleman. You know, very very nice to talk to, easy to get on with. You know, plus he's a Yorkshireman as well, mate. So you know, two Yorkshiremen. Well, listen, I mean, you know, what can you say? <laughs> exactly, exactly right. I mean, and, and as as you were sort of learning your craft, I mean, what what do you when you look at somebody like Gordon Banks, you must look at him in a different way than say I would look at him because you're looking for for how he did things. Yeah, what I liked about him, you know, it's that he made saves and he made them look easy. Yeah. He didn't make them look flash. You know, he didn't try and do it for the cameras or anything like that. You know, so. You know, he was the goalkeeper that I could take little bits off. Um, later on, then obviously Peter Shilton and Ray Clemens took over and Peter was a little bit shorter than me, you know, so that was hard for me to, to style on him. So I, I went with Ray Clemens a little bit, you know, so it was it was Gordon Banks, Ray Clemens, and then even someone like Bruce Garobolar, yes. believe it or not, you know, he, he took goalkeeping to another level. But, um, you know, every goalkeeper remembers Gordon Banks. Mm, it really is quite a remarkable thing. And Stoke City as well, I mean, it was pointed out, we were talking earlier, you know, Stoke City uh, and Leicester are the only two places he ever played. And he never really yeah. won much with them. I know he got, you know, cup medals and stuff, but is it, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's almost impossible now I suppose to think of a player playing in goal um, for England who's not in the Premier League certainly, but but who's not kind of in the yeah. top half of the Premier League. Yeah, that's it. You know, that's the sad part of you know of his career is that the fact that he never really won anything. But that was that was because he was at clubs where they weren't able to challenge for the league uh, trophies, and um, you know that's sad. But uh, you, you can't top a World Cup winner. That's it. There's, mm. there's no topping it at all. Right. So you know, and then he's got back up with that save as well. But, it's, but that's even more remarkable why he was why he was so kind of um, you know humble because here he was you know turning out every week in what was then the first division playing in some pretty nasty grounds and in some pretty horrible dressing yeah. rooms you know and he's got his and World Cup medal well, you yeah. know <laughs> and the pitches too yeah yeah you know and, that, and that's that's all credit to him you know like and like I said you know that was back in the days when they didn't wear gloves. You know, I know. They just used to spit on their hands and get on with it. You right. know, I, I even remember Bob Wilson doing that. You know, and uh, then he, then he, him, and I think it was Peter Benetti. They, they brought out these uh, like cotton gloves. Yeah. You know, like really thin green cotton right. gloves, and they they really helped. And they were like the first stages of goalkeepers wearing gloves. Sure, because um, you wore those I, I giant thought... gloves, didn't you? That's where you're you're famous for those big giant gloves <laughs> that nobody could get past. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, as big as possible, mate. Absolutely, that, yeah. absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, but with with, with Gordon, you know, that just shows you how you know how even better that save was. You know that he actually made it with. I'm sure it was with their hands. Yes. You know, and, uh, you know, just very a very, very special moment. Tremendous. David, listen, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. I know you're a busy man today. David Seaman, former England goalkeeper, Arsenal goalkeeper as well. One of the greatest goalkeepers, actually, uh, of the Premier League era. Uh, but talking about Gordon Banks there as if uh, he was a different breed, uh, with bare hands even. Uh, as we said earlier, uh, Gordon Banks are passing away. Uh, we heard the news a little bit earlier this morning. We'll take your calls on that coming up as well. 0344 499 1000. Right now, though, uh, I, want to take, I want to take you over to uh, Oliver Harvey. Uh, Oliver 
Robert Harvey's chief feature writer for The Sun. And The Sun this morning, I don't care what anybody says, right? Uh, if you are in any way a boy interested in cars or a girl interested in cars, they have done something that we've always wanted to do. They've basically stolen cars uh, for a story. It's brilliant. Oliver, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I'm very jealous that I no longer work in newspapers because this is the kind of job I would have loved to be a part of, nicking cars uh, like something out of Gone in 60 Seconds. It's amazing. No, it was really good fun, actually. The editor said, go, go, out, go out and get some cars. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, remarca- and remarkably easy, it turns out. Very easy. Very easy indeed. And very worrying if you own a car that's keyless. That right. is, you know, to get into a car... Um, with a fob so you don't need to put your key into the door or, mm. or indeed to start it. Um, right. We use this thing called a um, a relay attack device, which which criminals are using. Right. Um, and, and and you can you open the car with that. I mean, your keys can be in your front room, yeah. your car on the drive, and someone can point one of these devices at the keys and, and get into your car and drive off in it. I mean, it makes you wonder why this is not happening. I mean, we do see stories about it, but why it's not happening sort of all the time, every single moment of the day, because six seconds to get into a Ford Focus, 10 seconds in a Skoda, 11 yeah. seconds into a Jaguar F-Pace, 16 seconds into a Range Rover. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the only good news, I suppose, is that it's quite an expensive piece of kit to buy, isn't it? It is expensive, yes. Yeah. Um, cost between 10000 to 25000 Right. Um, we 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 got ours. We sourced it ethically for a security company, but but and we didn't say how how crooks get them, which we didn't want to right. you know, aid, aid them in any way. But yeah, these things are are, are, are pretty easy to get hold right. of, unfortunately. And do you get the sense that these cars are being nicked to order and then sold abroad or taken abroad very quickly, or do they get taken somewhere and resprayed and have a new fake license plate put on? Well, we're experts tell us that it's not it's, it's not some sort of local hoodlums. It's that it's it's, it's organised serious organised crime that's right. doing this. Right. Um, and and sometimes they um, they're shipped out abroad, or they, as you say, they they're given a new identity. These cars, um, uh, or or they just strip them completely for parts. Right. And, um, so you know. Just completely break them down. Right. I mean, recently we were doing a story here, I think, out of something out yeah. of one of the newspapers about how catalytic converters were very much the thing, and people were just yeah. stealing them off the, you know, off the underside of cars like BMWs, mm. and other and other people were stealing steering wheels because quite often one way to protect your own car from being nicked was to put one of those old crook locks on it, right? Um, yeah. And what they're now doing apparently is some, you know, some clever guys are if if you've got a crook lock, they just take the wheel off and then put the new wheel on and drive off. Well, the amazing thing about this is that it's a whole process. This is like, almost like a toolkit that they have um, prepared to do this. So when, once they're in the car, yeah. they, 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 they put something in, in that can fit into the um, cigarette lighter yeah. that actually the blocks the um, the the the. the, the um, the the the, the uh, what, what are they called <laughs> the, the trackers that oh, yeah. people fit yeah. oh, okay so that can be that can be blocked so then they get somewhere and then they use a scanner to to find to find where the tracker is and and they they remove that and then they then they clone a key right um so they, that's all very simple and very easy to do for people in the know right um uh, and so you, you're away so they so they can, can then actually sell it with a key yeah 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 wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And how do they um, and how do they start the engine with this scanner? I mean, once you get in the car, you still have to start the engine and unlock the steering wheel. Yeah, you, you, you just point this this thing at it, and it, and it acts as if the key is there. So right. the key might be in your house. Okay. 
but, but it, you just literally point it very quickly and it starts. Okay. So and the theme here, so the theme here, I noticed you yeah. broke into a few of the cars in front of the owners who were yeah. absolutely gobsmacked, right? So the theme yeah. here is that the car companies need to make it more difficult for people to do this. Yes, and um, uh, all, all the car companies we spoke to said they, they are trying to do that. They're working hard to improve their security. Um, Ford and Skoda um, say they're bringing motion sensors into their keys. So, but this, 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 this whole thing is it's almost like a sort of arms race between the, the criminals um, and the car companies right. whose technology um, you know, improves quickest. Uh, so everything the cars companies try and do, the, the, the criminal's always going to try and steal your car. Right. So it'll be a sort of constant war of attrition, I suppose, won't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, I, I congratulate you on the idea. Uh, even if it wasn't yeah. your idea, you should claim it anyway, as I'm sure you <laughs> I would. I will. I, I think I will. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. It's great. It's a fantastic read. And it's online, presumably, Oliver, as well, if people want to see it yeah, there. It is. Yeah, it is, yeah. Great stuff. Oliver, thanks very much indeed. Oliver Harvey, Chief Feature Writer for The Sun. Uh, front page of The Sun, gone in six seconds is the is the, uh, is the headline. Uh, have a look at it online. It's a remarkable story. It really is. And if you've got a car uh, which, which basically doesn't have uh, a key that you put into the door to open it, you know, it could be stolen tomorrow. Uh, literally in seconds. It's incredible. 0344 499 1000. We'll take loads more of your calls because uh, it's now quicker to drive across um, the parts of the desert uh, in Africa than it is to drive across London. Uh, you can go further in two hours probably there than you can anywhere in London where it's quicker to get across town on a bike. This is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We are the voice of the people here at Talk Radio. It's the only radio station uh, that talks common sense, and it's the only radio station that tells you how it is. There's no spin. We don't twist it. We tell you exactly what the news is and why it's important. Let's go to Harry, first of all, who's in Portsmouth. Hello, Harry. Oh, yeah, hello, Mike. Um, they, uh, they showed some... You know, they often show pictures on the TV showing the hotspots where the pollution is. Yes. Well, often... You, you can, if you know a particular town, you can see these fuzzy pollution spots, 
and you can locate yourself from your experience exactly where these spots are. All oh, right. There's a there's a couple in Portsmouth, and that they announced it yes yesterday or the day before. Um, there's uh, one at the bottom of the motorway, and one a few, uh, about uh, half a mile away. And of course, what it is, it, 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 it it's the actual you know the traffic lights they've put in, all the rearrangements they've done, and you know what? Because they've got such poor pollution. They'll be able to claim for some extra buses, you know, these low-pollution buses. Are, these, the the, are the... these like the hydrogen buses they've got now? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is. A hybrid, it was just in there. I just caught it on the TV at the weekend. Mm. They're actually, because they've been ticked off for, for high-pollution levels, right. they're actually able to claim money for these extra new buses they want, want you know, they're going well, to bring giving in. Well, who's, who's giving them the money, Harry? Well, it'll be a central government thing, isn't it? You know, like London, oh, if we dole out the money for, for low pollution, and yet these two hot spots they've mentioned, Alfred Road and Mile End, the Alfred Road one is definitely where they put traffic lights right. in when they used to be around about, mm. and it's where the buses turn off, and they're the only vehicles, delivery and disabled and buses, they're the only ones that shoot off down this other road. Oh, right. So they're so, part of it. Yeah, well, I mean, what's the what's the traffic like in Portsmouth itself? Whenever I've been in Portsmouth, if you come off the main sort of, uh, I don't know, is it the M27? You come down that road past the big, uh, past the big sale, and then you get in as you get into Portsmouth. There's always a massive traffic jam there. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's uh, that's at the Mile End roundabout. They never built any proper flyover there. Right. Um, they did open a, a road along the back wall of the dockyard. And then after a year, they sort of made it one way because they realised there was no point putting two-way traffic on it. And uh, it's right near the Charles Dickens uh, house there where, where Charles Dickens was born. Oh, right, OK. But, I mean, you know, the point is is that they will. Have they got cycle lanes there yet or have they haven't brought them in? Yeah, they, the, the big bugbear is bus lanes, actually. They, they put in some bus lanes on one of the old traditional main roads about 10 years ago you know the wide ones that are already wide enough to handle the traffic yes. they put a bus lane in there oh good and then you can't park anywhere along there <laughs> and i've noticed they built some laybys you know there's so much room there they built some laybys and i noticed a couple of years ago because the bus lane's right next to these parked cars the bus drivers actually drive for about a quarter of a mile along one particular stretch half in and half out the bus lane because if anybody opens a car door They'll get it knocked off by the bus, and yeah. the bus drivers know it's best to drive half in and half out the bus lane. It's hard to believe, really, that we've somehow allowed all this to happen, Harry. That's the, my worry is that this is all our fault. You know, we've been beaten by these people who have de- determinedly replanned our cities and our towns to make it almost impossible to drive around. Yeah, I, I noticed it back in the mid-'80s. You know, you say the bikes are faster, that's because they don't stop at the red light. Well, that's but true, I, too. I gave up riding a push bike, sort mm. of rough, you know, no particular reason, but I thought, well, I won't have to stop at all these extra pelicans and traffic lights yeah. they're starting to put in. Right. Because if you actually stop at them, remember, the bike is no quicker than the car because you're legally ob- obeying the traffic signals. Well, except the that, yeah, except that, yeah, but... Ignoring the- Signals. Yeah, except that when the car stops at a red light, and then when the red light goes green, quite often they're not going anywhere anyway. And in London, there's an awful lot of traffic lights where basically no more than two or three cars go through, and it goes red again. Yeah, and the, the worst thing was, you know the part-time traffic lights they brought in on the roundabouts 20, oh, yeah. 20 25 years ago? Yeah. They started off on these motorways. These, I'm on a train at the moment. Um, they, right. um, they started... Um, <laughs> Because they were busy at peak times, they put peak hour traffic lights in. Right. 
But then by the year 2000, they all became 24 hours. So, in you know, any time of day or night, you're stuck at these red lights when there's no traffic at all on the roundabout. What about the uh, uh, the fact that you've now been forced onto a train, Harry? You know, you've given up driving, well, have you? Yeah, well, perhaps that, I suppose there is a slight a slight hint there that, yeah, you, you know, sometimes you're better off getting the train, even though that's more expensive. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? Listen, Harry, thank you very much for talking to us. Harry there in Portsmouth, frustrated at what they're doing down there, not so much with the bike lanes, with the, uh, with the, with the bus lanes. Well, the, the trouble is the entire towns and cities of this country, all of them, are run by maniacs who don't want you in a car. Let's talk to Neil, who's in Macclesfield. Hi, Neil. Hi, Mike. You all right? Yeah, very well. Well, I'm getting a bit wound up about this, to be honest. Well, I, I'm pleased that you've mentioned this because it's been uh, something that I've been conscious of for, for years. Uh, I do a lot of travelling around, right. and one thing I do notice is that on these ridiculous smart motorways, oh, yeah. and whoever thought that up is a complete idiot, <laughs> but basically you go into a smart motorway and there's a particular stretch on the M6 from about Stoke up to Wigan, where it is um, a 50 mile an hour average speed check. Right. Right. So what happens then is that you you get three lines of, of traffic, three lanes of traffic, all travelling at 48 miles an hour, with about 10 metres of space mm. between each car. Right. Because people are just driving on their auto uh, cruise controls. Right. And and they're not really engaged with the actual traffic. No. So, so they're not paying attention either. Well, they're not. And, you know, you, you can see that people are not really engaged in, in, in the same way that they would be if they were allowed to drive at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, but because they sit there at 48 miles an hour with their auto crews, they think they're safe. So they're not aware of the, the stopping distance mm. between you and the car in front. Right. Um, and, and, and you've got all three lanes all behaving in exactly the same manner. Uh, and it just is not safe. That's so, like, you know what, well, that, that, I first discovered that kind of driving in America, you know, because they've got these incredibly yeah. long distances that people travel, not just to work, but to go on holiday. And everybody yeah. is in the same, uh, is in a lane doing the same speed. None of them are, there's no overtaking <clears throat> lane as such. And you're kind of, you feel as if you're almost in a school of fish. And everybody's you kind are. of, and people, if, if they come up against a car that's going a bit slower, they don't want to switch off the cruise control. So they go yeah. right up to them before they have to do it, you know. And it's very, very difficult. If you want to change lane and you want to get out to one of the uh, exits, it's very, very hard to do it because there isn't really the space anymore between the traffic and the traffic isn't flowing like it used to flow when, you know, when we used to be able to drive at 70 miles an hour. Mm. I mean, if it, people keep talking to me about, oh, yeah, this is how the Dutch do it and stuff like that. But if you go to Germany, you can drive on their autobahn yeah. as fast as you want. Sure. Yeah, I mean, a mate of mine was in France once, right? And I remember meeting him for... Uh, we, we almost sort of met up at a friend's house somewhere down in, in the middle of Poitiers or somewhere like that. And he said he was coming down this French motorway, right, doing 90, and uh, he yeah. had to move over, and he was overtaken by a guy towing a boat. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the payage, isn't it? And, and I think they have a totally different... Um, you know, they build good cars in Germany... And we're all driving them around Manchester at 20 miles an hour maximum speed limit. Yes. And, you know, they can stop on a sixpence. Mm. They've got all kinds of sensors on them now. Right. And yet we've got these green morons out there 
telling us all that we should be driving slower. I mean, how much more slow can we drive? I know. And also, the idea that these people have got that everyone should get out of their car and onto a bike. Well, you can't, as we've illustrated from people who have been t- tweeting me today, antiques yeah. dealers can't take a table with them on a bike or on a train. Yeah. You know, guys yeah. that are surveyors have equipment they need to bring with them. You know, people have to deliver stuff to people who want to shop online. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not even they're not realistic at all. No, they're not. They're not thinking it through. I mean, they they keep citing you know the the Dutch model and stuff. But what they don't tell you is that in Holland it's flat. Yeah. So it's perfect for for cycling. You know, there is a lot of people cycling in Holland yeah. because it's flat. It's but also much it's much more spread out. It's much more spread out. You know, you can't most of our cities are, you know, built very very long time ago and you can't yeah. suddenly just segment the road up into bi- yeah. bus lanes, bike lanes and then if you've got a car see what see how you get on. No, I mean, the only thing you can conclude is that we've just been governed by complete morons. Well, I think we've concluded that some time ago, Neil, as if they wanted to prove it to us, they've done this. Let's talk to Tom, who's a taxi driver in London. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mike. Yeah, right. good morning to you. Or good afternoon, I should say. I'm not happy about this. Well, listen, Mike, I don't know if you've seen that we, as taxi drivers, we've been demonstrating around Tottenham Court Road and Parliament yeah. Square the last you've been few getting, weeks. You've well. been getting a lot of flack for that as well, because I, okay, uh, yeah. I saw the London Bridge ones a couple of weeks ago. Um, why Tottenham Court Road? Well, Tottenham Court Road, we, we're being banned in the new console, well, in the new plan for Tottenham Court Road. It's going to be buses and cycles only. Really? So what happened, there was a consultation a, a year or so ago yeah. to all the businesses and local residents, and it was 61% in favour of allowing taxis on Tottenham Court Road along right. with the buses and cycles. Right. But Camden Council and TfL together have both decided that they're not going to allow us on there. So you've now Marvelous. got a mayor telling us we have to buy a £65,000 electric vehicle, mm. but they're taking more and more roads away from us that we can't even yeah. buy our trade and, and, and work. So, yeah. so whole, if, you're, whole... if you're on Tottenham Court Road and you want a taxi, what are you supposed to do? It's supposed to, I think you're supposed to walk either to the top or the bottom and then you'll, you'll be able to get one. You've got to carry all your big TV and everything yeah. to the top of the road right. and then grab one. But the other thing, with all these cycle lanes that they put in in London now, you never ever, Lancaster Gate is a prime example, you never had any congestion there before. Yeah. Now they put that in place, right. the whole of the park coming up through Hyde Park is solid with yeah. traffic, yeah. the whole of Bayswater Road solid, and, and they've got the cheek to turn around and say, right, the pollution now that's in London, we're going to bring in the ULES charge and start charging you 10 or £12 pound a day extra. They've caused all the pollution. Transport for London yeah, have of caused all this pollution. Of course they have. And now have the cheek to turn around and start charging everyone. Well, Mate, I mean, you, you look know... At day, look look but... at the buses. There's, during the day, there's no one on the buses, but you've got the same number of buses trundling around all day long uh, every hour. If you look at the day that the bus drivers went on strike a couple of years ago, Google it, Mike. Yeah. Look at the pollution map for London, the day that the two days the buses were on strike. The whole of London's blue. There's no pollution levels exceeded. Yeah. Every other day the buses are running, the pollution levels are all in the red. And it's, nobody. It's an one of the reasons standard. nobody uses the buses, Tom, is because they take so long. I mean, I, I could get a C10 bus, right, all the way to, uh, to Borough High Street from where I live. But I don't bother doing it because it takes about an hour and a half in the morning because it's so slow. It's ridiculous. All these people that are making these decisions from Camden Council, TfL, oh, let's put a cycle lane in, it'll be brilliant. None of them even live in London. It doesn't affect them. They get the train in from wherever in their big country house and then they don't have to deal with all the problems that they created. Yeah, no. They've also also got the public purse paying for that uh, train fare, by the way, so they don't even have to worry about how much it costs. (laughs) And that's the other problem. I mean, also, by the way, I mean, I I didn't know about this Tottenham Court Road thing. So if I'm driving in my car... Right, along New Oxford Street and I take a right up Tottenham Court Road. Pretty soon I won't be able to do that. How am I supposed to get gonna... how am I supposed to get north then? 
Well, do you know what they're doing? They're going to make Gower Street, which is the the, the road that runs yeah, parallel I know to it. southbound. Yeah. They're going to make that one way of traffic each way. So at the moment, you've got three lanes coming southbound, yeah. and it's always congested. Yes. So, they, so they, they think by making it one-way traffic each way with one lane, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to relieve all the problems. And I bet you they've got cycle lanes on it as well. Yep, definitely. It's unbelievable. It's, in the plans. Look it's at unbelievable. The plans. We've lost, it. Tom. It's our fault, though. We've let them win. How has it, how has it happened? We, we are not, uh, well, we should, be, uh, we should be doing something to get to. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. The point we're trying to make is that if they, that we've been told we're not part of the transport strategy now. So why are they insisting that I have to buy a £65,000 vehicle if I'm not part of the transport uh, network, which we've always been? It's an absolute racket, mate. Racket. Tom, listen, good luck to you, and uh, I should support you as ever as much as I can uh, by just getting in cabs every now and again. Tom, thanks very much indeed. But to be honest, during the day in London, I don't travel on the roads. I use the tube because it's by far and away the quickest way to get around. There is no point. I mean, I've got to get up to uh, somewhere near Oxford Street after this show. Uh, the idea that I wouldn't go on the tube is ridiculous because I would never go on a bus because it would take me about an hour and a half. A taxi would probably take me 40 minutes. I can get there on the tube in 10. Now, that is sensible traffic planning. But what they're doing above ground is an absolute joke. Uh, now, earlier on the, uh, in the show, we were speaking to uh, Vanessa Lloyd-Platt, divorce lawyer, about the guy who was a high-flying uh, oil uh, industry consultant who was blinded by attraction by some Bulgarian woman who was 20 years younger than him, uh, who he gave 182 grand to uh, in, the mean, in the process of hoping to uh, invest it somewhere. Now, he's actually been given uh, an award by a court to get that £182,000 back uh, because he wasn't thinking straight, and apparently he was indeed blinded by his attraction now they met on tinder which is one of the many dating apps that you can now find uh, if you are looking for love out there uh, there now turns out to be an even more bizarre story than that i have to tell you uh, and it is that there is now a matchmaking app for livestock uh, which allows farmers to view an animal's photos age and location before swiping right to show interest uh, we're going to talk now uh, to jamie mckinnis who's co-founder and ceo uh, cto rather of hectare agritech jamie a very good afternoon to you welcome Good afternoon, how are you doing? Very well indeed. This is a great story, isn't it? I mean, uh, I don't suppose it's that surprising that you would want to look at uh, uh, the goods before you purchase them, as it were. But uh, but tell us about this and how does it work? Well, that's kind of the point, really. Uh, we started Sell My Livestock, which is a platform for farmers to be able to trade animals about four years ago. Mm. And we've um, seen about 40,000 of the UK's farmers sign up to it, so that's one in three. Um, and a few of the team members have been using Tinder since we started. Mm. And we started seeing synergies between finding a date and finding breeding cattle. Right. Uh, except it's probably more suited <laughs> to cows, as there is a whole host of data available on them. And it's not just photos. So you can look at their performance records, for example. And they're not um, lying either, presumably. No, exactly. Exactly. I was, I was saying, <laughs> I'm glad they aren't available on humans, because I don't think I'll ever have got married. But, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, when you say there were certain synergies, I mean, what did you, what, like what, for example? Well, if you've got a bull that's looking for a heifer, you, sh you shouldn't just rely on photos. You should be looking at, you should be looking at performance data. Right. So we were just thinking that farmers in the evening, because we find that farmers are busy during the day, but when they're sat on the sofa in the evening, they can get on this app and swipe left, swipe right, and have a look at the breeding stock, not just from their local region, but from all across the country, and then find the perfect match for their animals. Right, OK. And, I mean, is it something which is being sort of embraced by the livestock industry, or is it... Uh, I mean, I know that there's probably all kinds of modern technology being used now in farming that I know absolutely nothing about. But I always get the sense that it's not quite as high-tech as perhaps uh, other parts of society. 
I think that's a common misconception. I think farmers are embracing technology when it when it when it when they see a real benefit yeah. to it. Um, I mean, this is a spin-off from Sell My Livestock, which we have we have a thousand new farmers sign up every month to, um, so they can start trading online as opposed to the more traditional route. So right. they're definitely embracing it more for sure. And what kinds of things can you find if you're looking into, say, a cow's family history? I mean, I mean, I, again, I'm going to show my complete ignorance here, but but I mean, what would you do, for example, if you found that the cow's family history somehow? coincided with your cows, uh, your bull's family history, and they shouldn't mate. Well, exactly. That's a, that's a key example of why you need to look into the data and the genetics. But, for example, if you're looking for dairy cows, you would look at their milking performance. If you're looking for de- uh, sort of breeding females, you'd look at how easy they were to calf in, the, in, the, in history. So it's about making the national herd better as well. Oh, OK. And as far as uh, your kind of uh, sign-up to this system is concerned, I mean, how many people are, are using it? Because I guess you'd, you'd prefer that if for the, the people that you're looking at uh, to be part of the same process, wouldn't you? Absolutely. So we so we literally launched Tinder. Uh, sorry, Tada, a couple of days ago, and we're already seeing thousands. I mean, it was meant to be a spin-off from our popular um, platform, Summer Livestock, but it's been sucked up by the media. And it, I mean, we've had requests from Singapore and, and Brazil <laughs> and all sorts. So um, we're, we're getting the latest stats in, but we're into the thousands downloads already. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. So I mean, as far and does it work as far afield as you like? Does it just work within Britain, or do you import cattle as well? So there is quite a bit of input, current, import currently on our system. We've got imports from Holland, Ireland for dairy cattle, but it's mainly focused on the UK at the moment, but we might have to change that remit. Yeah, well, it's fascinating that you're, uh, that you're doing this. And, and, I mean, how different now is the, is, the, is the market in terms of, because we're hearing all the time, I mean, you get vegans complaining about the amount of milking that goes on. You get people telling us that we should be drinking more non-dairy milk and we should be drink, eating non-dairy cheese. Is it affecting the, uh, the, the business of, of, of dairy cattle as such? I don't really have the numbers on that. I, d- I don't think so. I mean, everyone's allowed to make their own choices, but we're certainly seeing the, the sort of better breeders, better beef breeders, better dairy farmers being rewarded with prices. And it seems to, this, the industry seems to be going from strength to strength. Fantastic stuff. Well, Jamie, thank you very much indeed. Jamie McInnes there, co-founder and CTO of Hectare Agritech. It makes perfect sense, does it not, to use technology in order to actually, um, you know, find a way through the business of, um, I guess, mating uh, people uh, with uh, make, mating farmers with people in the dairy industry uh, who want to move, make some money out of it as well. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show ten to one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 